him that is weak in the faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, and he giveth God, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou dost thou set at naught thy brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ for it is written as I live saith the Lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way I know and are persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that, he that in these things, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things where there, wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroyed not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. But he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Let's, uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, a wonderful passage. A passage, dear Lord, Simple in that which it produces and propounds for us, Father. Simple in those things, dear Lord, that we can understand and we can comprehend. Things, dear Lord, pertaining again to the conscience. And those things, dear Father, that we might be able to take hold of. Things also, dear Lord, that we find within this passage pertaining to that which is of love. All of those things, dear Father, that we'd seen in previous chapters. We ask, dear Lord, that you would be before us, that you would bless us that you would bless this consideration this morning and this sermon and also dear lord that you would be with those who may not know you may not know christ those dear lord who we pray would be born again which would know the wonderful peace of god that peace that passes all understanding please be with us dear father and help us rejoice dear lord in the work that you would have for us we thank you in jesus name amen the title of the message this morning is simply Doubtful Disputations. Doubtful Disputations. Something interesting that we see within the first portion of the text. And there is a, a broad consideration that we need to be thinking about this. And, and one of the things that I had considered was, was just preaching through the entire chapter and just going through it in the Bible itself. But we're not, we're not going to be doing that. We're going to be concluding it uh, at verse 8. Um, and we're going to be looking at these passages as, as, a, as a whole. The previous sermon that I looked at, we were looking at those things that matter with respect to the conscience and, and about keeping the conscience pure, those things that were so vitally important for us that we might also walk honestly, um, that we would consider the things of, of the Lord. 
and we would also keep our, our consciences pure. Um, it was time that we awake out of sleep. We'd seen the danger of a conscience that is asleep. Here in this passage, however, we also see something about the conscience, and that is a conscience that may be awake, but may also be weak. In other words, one that would be concerned about doing certain things that before God aren't considered a problem. And they're not considered a problem in the, in the scriptures. Um, in the first verse, he says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Right away, we see that there, is, uh, there are arguments, there are things that we are to be unified on, those things with regards to the doctrines that we see in the Bible, those things that we can know of absolute surety within the Scriptures. But Paul also allows for something here with regards to doubtful disputations, things that we can argue about, that there is no absolute assurance of what is right and what is wrong on the matter. And, uh, and in this instance, he's speaking about a couple of different things, one food and the other's certain days, and uh, keeping of certain things or certain traditions. These things aren't something that we are to argue about. These things are not something that we are to concern ourselves with, but also love and care has to be taken here that we don't go out of our way to offend a brother and a sister in the things that we might allow. And we'll, we'll go on and we'll talk about that a little bit more. We see also applying in the passage things with regards to the days of the week. One esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike in verse 5. It's clear here that there's no reason to judge another man's servant, for God has received him. So it's not that you keep this day and you don't keep that day, that somehow there is going to be, you're not going to be able to go to heaven for some reason. This is not about that. Paul explains the nature of the service that we are to do, and that is that we are to do all our service and everything that we do in honour to the Lord. We are to do it in honour to the Lord in verse 6. Regarding one particular day to the Lord or another regarding all days is equal and it is equal before God, it is equal before the Lord. And it's the same thing with food. It's the same thing with food. Whether you decide that you are going to be a vegetarian and only eat those foods that, uh, that are to that because you're offended by other types of food, that's what it refers to about herbs, eat herbs. One believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eat of herbs, it's referring to just those, the, the vegetarianism. Um, this isn't something that is up for real dispute among us. Um, there might be concerns about ideology, but neither of those things are going to pertain to heaven or to glory or to anything like that. These are some of those things that are considered as, as doubtful disputations. The most important thing that we're not doing is injuring one another. We are not to injure one another. We are not to speak about violations of any laws or rules. It's not about keeping certain days. We know that as a church, the church began on the first day of the week because Christ rose on the first day of the week. The Sabbath day we recognise was the last day of the week. We maintain a tradition with regards to our service on the first day of the week as Christ rose and as Paul also spoke about. He spoke about gathering together on the first day of the week. Is that a law? Well, no, it's not a law. It's not a rule. It's not a law. We can keep any particular day of the week for the fellowship of the saints. But it's not something that we are to um, you know, be religious about to the point where you know, if you don't keep it on that particular day, there is trouble. There isn't trouble. The main concern that we have within the Scriptures is that we do indeed fellowship and we do indeed expound the Word of God. That can happen at any time. What seems evident uh, with this exhortation of, of Paul is that the argument with regards to not eating or not drinking or worrying about the foods that you have or the days that you keep. It's not unique to the book of Romans. We, we see this clearly also in the Corinthians. The Corinthian letters is really, really clear with respect to that, but it's also in Ephesians, it's in Galatians, it's seen in Philippians. Ultimately, in the end, each one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be standing before the Lord. 
every single one of us, we, there will be knees bowed, there will be tongues confessing, and this will, is where we are going to be giving an account. And we see that in verses 10, 12, and 13. Therefore, we are we to consider judging another man's servant or are we not recognising that everybody is going to stand on their own behalf before God? The Bible teaches about exhorting one another and we'll have a look at that. But let's have a look first at these first portions. Romans 14, 1 to 3. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. The wonderful passage that we, that we find in here is that those who know Christ, those who are trusting in their salvation in the Lord, have an understanding that there is nothing that is without their opportunity to be able to take hold of. We can eat whatever it is that we want to eat. And it doesn't matter what they might be or how they might be presented. Yet there are those who are weak. In other words, their consciences are weak. This doesn't disparage them. This doesn't disparage them because those who eat not to the Lord, they eat not. And those who eat to the Lord, they eat. We feel or I feel personally that I am able to eat all things. There's nothing outside of my opportunity to be able to eat. We remember in the scriptures in the, uh, in the book of Acts, we remember the sheep that was actually brought down three times before Peter. You remember that? That sheep that was brought down three times before Peter. Peter said, the Lord said or in, in his vision, it says, Peter, slay and eat. And, and, and Peter said, no, there's nothing that is unclean that has ever defiled my lips. And the Lord said, what God has cleansed, call not thou unclean. In that passage, he gave an understanding that those who are in Christ have that all at their disposal. They can eat what they choose to eat. There is nothing unclean in and of itself. Um, Jesus made that clear as well. Remember when he spoke about nothing that goes into the man defiles the man, but it's that which comes out of the man. That defiles the man. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10. Have a look at that for a minute. Verse 23 is the text we'll have a look at. Paul writes the importance of this because the underlying picture that we have here is one of love. It's not one of, of judgment, it's one of love. He writes in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 10, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The shambles is the marketplace. That's the place where they would come together and they would, they would, they would buy all their foods, all their goods, all their groceries. These are the, this is the marketplace. So whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat. Asking no question for conscience' sake. What he's referring to here is this thing with respecting food and also potentially food even offered to idols. Ask no questions for conscience' sake. Don't defile your conscience with regards to it. If someone says to you, brother, that was a thing that was offered to idols, you knowing that person is going to be offended, then don't eat of it. Don't eat of it. We're, getting, we're going to be getting to an application towards this with regards to these considerations at the end but hang in there with it because no doubt many of these things have been brought up in your own mind in times past respecting food and spiritual maturity those that are weak in faith in romans 1 are those who are noted as abstaining from certain foods for their conscience sake have a look at colossians chapter 2 let me going through a little bit of scripture this morning colossians chapter 2 Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So move forward. It's before the Thessalonian books. And in chapter 2, we'll read from verse 13, 13 to 16. 
He says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over it, over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. These things, the Bible refers to these things as, as shadows. These are shadows of, of, of Christ, shadow of those things that are to come. You have been cleansed, you've been washed, you've been made clean. There are no more things that can possibly defile you, nothing that can defile you. Because those things that were ordained in the Old Testament are a shadow of things in, in the future. They're a shadow of Christ. If you're saved in Christ, there's nothing, nothing. There's no food, there's no drink, there's no holding of any holy days. There's no holding of a, of a Sabbath day or of the new moon or of the Passover or of, of any other special days or special times or special feasts. Um, Roman Catholicism has turned that upside down and they hold to certain things where we are to abstain from foods at certain times of the year. Well, this is not what the scripture says. This is the exact opposite of what the Bible says. Uh, Good Friday, you're apparently not allowed to eat meat, but you can eat fish. Um, there, There are certain things that they hold to. Christmas, Easter, the same sort of thing. Whether you celebrate them or you don't celebrate them is not there for the Lord. If you celebrate them, celebrate them in the Lord. If you don't celebrate them, then to the Lord you don't celebrate them. And that is not something that's to be judged by another. These are one of those things that are doubtful disputations. Doubtful disputations. Those things, however, that pertain to your conscience, if it pertains to your conscience and you feel your conscience defiled by keeping them or not keeping them, then to you it is a sin. But this is not something that's going to be judged by another person. This is something where you stand before the Lord for, and you do so before the Lord. I don't see anywhere that he will condemn you for holding it or not condemn you. Or, or sorry, condemn you for holding it or for not holding it. If you're doing these things in honour to the Lord, when it comes to doubtful disputations, these things are not something that are of a concern. And Paul brings that out really clearly. Romans 14.3, For God hath received him. God hath received him. Romans 15, 1 to 3, it says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. We have a duty to the weak and that is not to please ourselves, not to please ourselves. And we've got to be concerned about that when we come to, to, to those who, who are weak in their own faith and they, and they want to abstain from certain things. Turn back in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians and have a look at chapter 8. Remember I was saying to you that this is dealt with fairly clearly in Corinthians. Chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and have a look at verse 8. Verse 8. He says, But meat commendeth us not to God. Meat, meat referring generally to food in general. To food in general. It's not, not, not the um, not meat as we, as we usually think of it. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge sit down at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will, not, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Do you see the heart here? The desire here and the heart here is not to offend a brother. You may have knowledge, you may have wisdom, you may have understanding of certain things, but 
the one thing you don't want to do is offend a brother with regards to this. They find those things offensive, then don't, don't push those things onto them as if they should not be offended by it. And you find yourself free to be able to eat. Submit yourself for conscience sake to them. Become as they are. You know, Paul speaks about he became as weak to the weak that he may save some, that he may preach and save some. Beloved, it's exactly the same thing when it comes to the things that are in the world today. And we'll talk a little bit more, just to touch on this a little bit more later on. But we may be aware of certain things. We may be aware of, 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 of some things that are passing by in the world or some truths that most of the world isn't aware of. Uh, and that could be relating to anything. It could be related to the politics of today. It could be related to the entertainments of today. It could be related to the music of today. It could be related to, to movies. It could be related to, goodness knows, anything. These sort of things, when a, when, a, when a brother or a sister don't see their conscience necessarily defiled by them, yet they are honouring the Lord, we don't want to be forcing things down their throat and saying, well, if you do these sort of things, then you're a sinner before a holy God. These things we allow for the people to grow, for people to grow in their own selves. And we give people room to grow. Because that ain't the main thing. That ain't the main thing. That's not the most important thing within these people's lives. The most important thing we'll come to in, in, in the end here. But in, in the end, God has received him. And to his own man, he stands or falls. Does that mean we are not to exhort at all? No, we'll come to that in a moment. We are certainly to exhort, but not with regards to these things that are doubtful disputations. We have liberty in verse 9. And though all things are lawful for us in 1 Corinthians 10.23, we should never become a stumbling block to those who are weak in the faith. We are to be wary of the faith of others, not to boast of our own strength or all that we know, but to give people room to grow lest we offend them and turn their hearts away from the wonderful simplicity that is in Christ. Romans 14.4 says, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Each one of us have our respective responsibilities before God. It's to him we stand or we fall. He is our judge. He is our judge. It's, it's, we are not to be judging others with respect to these things. The Lord knows our heart. We don't even know our heart as well as the Lord knows our heart. We struggle to know our own heart. And yet how are we to be able to know the hearts of others, especially when it comes to doubtful disputations? We are not to be doing these things. And, and I could expand on that with regards to almost anything. We could be talking about parenting, for example. Parenting is another thing. Every individual, every home has a manner or a method of parenting with regards to their children. Some of those parenting methods are good. Some of them are not good. But it's those parents who have an active desire in their children who will actively parent their children, not passively, not hold back and just let them... Let them, let them grow as a, as a wild rose in the, in, in the bush. It doesn't look any good. They will trim. They will do their work in order to make sure that they have a beautiful child that comes to the end of it. But in the end, they are not to be judged by others because nobody knows that child better than the parent, other than the Lord. Those are one thing. There, there are many other things that you could be considering with regards to you know activities in business, with regards to how you're growing in the Lord with regards to your own spiritual walk. Every single one of us are going to be standing or falling before God, you know, and we will all have an account that we need to give to the Lord. And if we are taking those things seriously, then we are doing everything we can to purge our consciences of, of dead works, of things that have no value. So we are not to be doing those things to others. We are not to be judging others. Romans 14.5 says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Well, why? Because Galatians 6.5 says, For every man shall bear his own burden. Again, these passages are passages of personal responsibility. 
Whether you want to regard one particular day unto the Lord, whatever that day is, then regard it to the Lord. Regard it to the Lord. You're not sinning in that matter. But if you don't regard that day to the Lord, yet you believe that day is to be regarded to the Lord, you find your conscience defiled. You find your conscience itself is, has sinned. You need to be fully persuaded in your own mind. That's what it says there in the text in 14.5. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. If we see within the scriptures that there are there is nothing within the scriptures that actually um, speak about you know sinning against God if we don't hold a particular day or not sinning against God if we don't hold a particular day. If we can be convinced of those things, whatever we convince within our own mind, we need to be settled with regards to it. Is there clarity in scripture with regards to certain things? Yes. But can there be doubtful disputations? Clearly. Clearly there can be. Clearly there are some things that we don't need to concern ourselves with. Well, why does Paul bring this up? Paul brings this up because everywhere that he went, there were also Jewish believers. There were, there were Israelites there. There were people who believed that they needed to um, still follow certain attributes with regards to the, the ceremonial law, with regards to keeping certain days, with regards to uh, eating certain foods or abstaining from certain foods. Um, and we've got to be very, very careful with regards to potentially offending an individual. There was a gentleman who was a, a Jewish rabbi and he was a Messianic Jew. He came to, he came to Christ and... At this particular uh, at this particular function, um, he was invited, and they had uh, they had served pork uh, on the plate. And the Jewish rabbi himself, who is again a Christian now, he found himself offended by the pork that was on the plate, and he was offended because it was almost as if because he, he seemed to have been the guest of honor there. And it was as if um, they did that completely in spite of him. Um, whatever it was, he was offended. And they'd asked him to actually bless the food before it got started. And he bowed his head down and he prayed. And he says, God, if you have made, if you have blessed those things today which you cursed in the Old Testament, then I pray, bless this pig. And he got up and he left. He left the assembly. Now, you might consider the gentleman weak in faith with regards to that. But at the same time, we've got to be considering the background, the history, all that sort of stuff. Why would you take the trouble to potentially offend this individual who you know may have been terribly, terribly offended about it in the past? If you know that he's not no longer offended by it, then sure. But otherwise, no. No, we are to love individuals. And we are not to be creating offence or putting a stumbling block before their faith. And that's what Paul's talking about here. You need to be fully persuaded in your own mind with regards to things, but not cause a stumbling block. Romans 14, 6. He says, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. It's to the Lord that we do, and we undertake all things. We all give an account for our own life, and, our, and according to our own purpose. No man is to judge these things that we ourselves have already decided upon. These are the things that the Bible refers to as doubtful disputations. Paul speaks also to this again when he responds to the Corinthians. Have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 5, he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge my, not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, 
who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Have a look at that. I want you to notice something really important because what he's referring to here is that the Lord is going to be bringing out those things to light that are the hidden things of darkness. In other words, there are things within the Bible or within uh, life that we don't really have a knowledge of. We don't have a true understanding of. And in those things, those things he refers to here as hidden. The Lord is going to bring those things out and we're going to be judged accordingly. What's going to be judged more than anything else is going to be our own hearts. And that's what that refers to. Now, does, does that mean that we are not to contend for anything? Well, clearly no. We are, there are things within the Bible that are not doubtful disputations. There are those things within the Scriptures that are very, very clear. But it's clear with certain things that people cannot know with regards to you or with regards to your motivations for doing certain things that, uh, that are left to be judged by the Lord. Individuals will stand before the Lord themselves and give an account. And that's not our job to do. We can't judge those things. Um, Jesus spoke about hypocritical judgment in the Bible. He mentioned and spoke about those who have a plank in their own eye and they can't see clearly enough to take the speck out of another person's eye. Clearly, again, this is a form of judgment. That's a form of hypocritical judgment. You can't be judging those things of others when you're so much worse in those same things. Paul was being dealt with by the Corinthians. Um, the Corinthians had uh, heard a lot of things with regards to Paul that were not right. Yet, are we to judge things that do matter? Then yes, the answer is clearly yes. We see that with regards to matters concerning salvation, we've got Peter speaking in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and he culminates his entire account of everything that God was doing in the beginning of the church. And he was speaking about a new work being done now in Christ. And he writes this and he says this, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Peter was calling the people to remove themselves from the deception that they were in and to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that the generation that they were living in were an untoward generation and they were to turn from that and turn to Christ. He was keeping the main thing the main thing. Okay, He wasn't allowing them to continue to fester in the things that are false and that are deceitful and that would damn them. He was turning them from darkness to light. So clearly when it comes to salvation, we are in every way to present the truth. Paul wrote, of the brethren also exhorting brethren with regards to sin in Hebrews 13, 3.13, saying, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, when you see your brother offending or in sin, and a sin that you can recognise clearly, we are to bring those things to them. We are called to call out sin for what it is. And not to leave it fester within the individual because there is a hardening of the heart through the deceitfulness of sin. Especially, beloved, if you've got a brother or a sister who desires to grow in Christ. If, you, if there is a brother or a sister who are just walking in sin and they are completely backslidden, you're going to have a hard time converting their hearts back to the Lord because you know, they are already hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Having said that, beloved, one of the most important things that you need to do is to also have a soft heart. I think one of the most difficult things today when we are trying to encourage people to walk in faith is how quickly triggered they are, how, how so sensitive they are. And this is, this is a lot to do with, with, with a narcissistic belief of themselves. And there are many Christians that are like that. We get offended because we are told that we are doing something that is wrong or that is sinful. 
And we get really, really offended and start hating on our brother or sister for that. But what we're actually doing is we're judging them for judging us. And if they've judged us rightly, we need to take that on board. And we need to bring that before the Lord and need to consider of that. Now, maybe only 20% of what the individual said might have been true. Then accept that from them. Take that from them and consider those things. There are things that they may not know about. Fine, flush that. But there are certainly things that are true with regards to it on how you are presenting yourselves before people in one way or another. Please do not get so quickly offended when there is evidence sin within your life that needs to be addressed. And those of you who recognize that sin, you need to point it out. Because one of the worst things that are possible to happen in a person's life is that they can continue on that path and end up destroying their own lives. This is why he tells us, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We need to correct a brother or a sister along the way. Now, if you're more concerned about what they think of you rather than your love for them, you're not going to be a person that's going to exhort with anybody because you're more concerned about yourself than you are of them. I'm sorry, but that's a lack of love as far as I'm concerned. It's a lack of love in, a, in an unwillingness to open the truth to a brother or a sister who is falling along the way. That's, that's not love for them. You're happy to see them fall. And that is a real, and that's a real shame. And again, to your own Lord, you're going to stand or fall, but you need to be aware of that, beloved, because that's something that we need to, we need to be mindful of. We see a brother or sister sin, we need to be talking to them about it. Of course in love. Of course in love. You're not going to be sitting there pointing at them and, and yelling at them or anything like that. We do it in love. They take it on board, they take it on board. They don't take it on board, you have washed your hands of it. Your, your hands are clean. You've done it in love. Jude also speaks about contending for the truth. Contending for the truth. Now, in order to contend for the truth, you have to judge these things. You have to judge error, right? He says that in verse 3 of the book of Jude. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to this, unto the saints. That can be a very exhausting work if you're in churches who have no interest in the truth. Yet that is our command. We are to continually contend for the truth. He is exhorting believers to contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. In order to do that, we have to be aware of error. In order to be aware of error, you've got to know this book. These things are not doubtful disputations. That's what's clear. We can see that there's many places that, are, that have contained within them worthy areas of dispute that are not to be considered as doubtful disputations. Paul writes to Timothy of the specific work of the pastor to the flock. He says, preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own hearts lusts, after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. These are not therefore doubtful disputations, but these are worthy to be argued and worthy to be dealt with. Early in my walk as a as a Christian, and as I was starting to grow in the knowledge of the word of God and I, I began contending for the faith, contending for the truth. I had many people on the wrong side telling me not to contend because they didn't want feathers ruffled. Uh, they didn't want the current status quo um, uh, turned upside down. They, 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 they wanted to allow people to continue in sin rather than be exhorted and rather to be uh, 
going back to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And, and it was a very difficult battle because I can understand that. My natural sensibilities were, I don't really want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I don't like arguments. I don't like getting into fights with people, you know. And I, and I certainly don't. But, but what I hated more was every false way. I, I despised that because every time I'd seen teachers teaching a false way, they were turning their hearts of the people away from the word of God and, and turning it to themselves. They were putting a stumbling block be, before people who would come to salvation. And I hated that more. So I had to make a determination. Either I wanted to be a popular individual that everybody was going to be happy with or I was going to be one who was going to contend for the faith. And in the end, I determined on the latter because in the end, to the, my Lord is who I stand or I fall. And when it came to contending for the faith within the churches that I was a part of, then I needed to do so because of my broken heart for those who were getting lost and, putting, and having stumbling blocks put in their path. Now, a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people still don't like that. But this is part of life. This is part of the call. This is part of the walk that we're in. There are many people who have itching ears today and they will gather to themselves teachers that will scratch and scratch and scratch and scratch where they're itching. Then we've got the responsibility to the church. It's another one that Paul commands in the Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Again, we are to do those things, to warn those that are unruly, but also to comfort the feeble-minded, to give them peace, to give them rest, um, to not concern themselves over those things that they have not sinned in. So we, we teach the scriptures with them and we work together with that. Lastly, we recognize that even spiritual matters are to be discerned within the church. They've got to be properly discerned. We recall in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, the Pharisees making the claim that Jesus was casting out devils by the prince of devils. You remember that? In doing so, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means that they were attributing to Satan that which was a clear and evident work of God. That's what that means. That's what that means. Yet we have within the New Testament church an obvious work to be able to discern those things that are spiritual, that are of the Lord. And Paul makes that clear in nothing other than 1 Corinthians, well, from 12 to 14, he speaks about the manifestation or an overt presentation of spiritual gifts. Now, I've contended with regards to this. I'm not going to deal with it right now, but I've contended with regards to the truth of this, that those revelatory gifts, those, those gifts that were given prior to the completion of the, of the New Testament of the Bible, were there as revelatory gifts specifically pointing to Christ. They were there, they were there as a temporal point. They were there temporarily because it was to go to the Jews first who only believed through those signs. But there will be a, come with that, a time where they will come to a close. Paul here is dealing with an overemphasis of a particular gift and that is what is known as the gift of tongues. And most specifically that which is babbled around today and that is the unknown tongue. And he says here, he says, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. That means one after another, not all together at the same time, one after another. Some of you might have seen that uh, these churches have got all these people babbling off at the same time. That's completely opposite to this. One by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. In other words, one over the other. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. Judge. Others are to judge. We are to discern these things. We are to know the truth of these things. God is a God of order, not one of confusion. He is one of 
order and we are to discern the truth of these things. Beloved, 26 of the 27 books of the New Testament warn against false teachers and false prophets. The only one that doesn't is the book of Philemon. That's the only one. Every other one has warnings within it with regards to false teachers and false prophets. How are we supposed to do that if we don't judge? How are we supposed to do that if we don't discern? If we don't consider these things? So clearly what we have within the scripture is a knowledge that we are to judge certain things, but not to doubtful disputations. Paul writes about it in Hebrews 5. He speaks about the value of the word of God and for those who are maturing in Christ to be able to discern between good and evil. He says, strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We exhort those things that matter eternally. We exhort those things that are clearly presented in the scriptures. We do not dispute one with another over matters of doubtful disputations. We do not strive to words with no profit. Second Timothy 2.14, Timothy is charged by Paul to the congregation that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. How many are the pastors today that spend so much time doing that from pulpits today? They, they select a word in the Bible and then they, they, they pull it apart to no profit. They spend half of their time actually teaching why this is an error within the scriptures. Well, they need to be careful about that because those who do those sort of things will have their part taken out of the book of life. The point is, though, that the servant of God is not to strive, not to be arguing about things to no profit. We're not to be striving about things for no reason and have no good end about those things that are considered as doubtful disputations. And I used to do a lot of that. I used to do a lot of that. It was one of those things that was probably the last to be taken from me. And every now and again, I I would still find myself slipping into those things. It's not completely gone. But we are not to strive about things, about words to no profit. The servant of the Lord must not strive, he writes in 2 Timothy 2.24, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You are going to find in life um, those who argue in a manner that oppose themselves. You're going to find them in the schools. You're going to find them at work. You're going to find them at church. You're going to find them in your day-to-day conversations. Yet we are not to strive but to be gentle. We are not to strive but to be gentle. This needs to apply more and more in these mad days, beloved. You are not to argue about those things of doubtful disputation, but be gentle to all men. Turn your Bibles to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. After Ephesians and before Colossians, Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes there, Let nothing be done. Uh, Sorry, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Better than themselves. We need to be lifting other people up. We need to be dealing with them gently. We need to not strive. We need to be lowly of mind and we need to be respecting all people in all ways, in all manners. This is not just respecting one group of people to the cost of another. We are to honour all people. We are to think of them as higher than ourselves. And finally, we have in Romans 14, 7 to 8. Paul culminates this portion and says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live We live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. We eat to the Lord or not eat. We observe days to the Lord or we esteem every day alike. But all of it is to the Lord. Now, 
The days that we're living in are days of incredible confusion. They're days of trouble. They're days of, of turmoil. These are times when information that is gleaned, uh, that is specifically determined to divide people. We are driven today by algorithms and minds are silenced in the confusion. Minds are silenced in the confusion. There is a direct application to what we are looking at here in Romans chapter 14 with respect to doubtful disputations in a very practical way in the world today. Those with a biblical worldview are the only people who can make perfect sense of the world and it's in a turmoil. It's, it's, it's seas raging, as, as Jude refers to it in verse 13. Um, but there are many who Paul refers to as children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Our conversations and our disputings in this world must concentrate on not being words to no profit, things of doubtful disputations. The application for today would not necessarily be about the foods that you eat or, 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 or the days of the week that you worship, but about those things which seem to impact our lives at the moment more personally. The information gleaned in the world are all things of doubtful disputation. The, well, let me say that again, just, just so you haven't got it right yet. All the information that is gleaned in the world today are all of doubtful disputations. We can have absolute assurance of nothing. Nothing. And until you actually have a look at how Media moves, whether it's to the one side or to the other, whether it's to the, to the left of the spectrum or to the right of the spectrum, unless you know exactly what's going on in the context rather than your little 30-second sound bites, you have no idea what is true or what is false. These things, if we find ourselves arguing about these things, these things are doubtful disputations and we are causing people to offend. We're not dealing with the things that matter the most. The days before us are probably going to be the greatest harvest of souls prior to the Lord's return, at least in the last 200 years. It has never, we have not had, we have not had a revival within the world for at least 200 years. And it's been basically since they started corrupting the Bible. But the stuff that's going on at the moment there is potentially going to be the greatest harvest of souls before the Lord returns. And this is an exciting time to be alive because what we can know is the word of God is true. Not the things that are going on in the world today, not the contradictions and the misinformation that fills the airwaves today. And as Satan, who is the father of lies, is also known as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You simply cannot know what is true respecting these doubtful disputations other than those things that align with the scriptures. As we enter into the biblical time of the signs, we are to remember whose we are, whose we are and what work the Lord has kept us here to accomplish as his ambassadors. We're not charged to escape the madness of the world through our own will, but we are to bloom in Christ where we are planted. We are to be with the Lord here and now. We are to do the work that he has called us to do. There's this idea of escape, but it doesn't sort of fit anything because we see the history in the book of, in, in Israel. Those who escaped from the sword had the sword follow them there. In the end, they're not doing the will of the Lord. Yet the Lord had them blessed when they were faithfully being preserved by him in the places that he had them. We are living in the most exciting time of history. And I honestly believe that I am privileged to be here for such a time as this. 
There's a reason why the Lord has set you and I here for this time. And that is to keep the main thing the main thing. To keep the main thing to the main thing. To speak of the hope that is found in Christ. Use the events of the world to prove the Bible true. To tell people of their own sin before a holy God. To tell them of his love. To tell them that there is hope and that hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not doubtful. and This is not a doubtful disputation. This is what we have before God. Take them through the scriptures. Take them through the scriptures. Have them see, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is all people. If you don't know the Lord, this is you. Romans 3.23 speaks of that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Please don't use that as as if because everybody has sinned that that somehow dilutes yours. Sin isn't diluted by the amount of people that have sinned. You have sinned. You've come short of the glory of God. And as such, you don't stand before a holy God or before Christ. And there is judgment. There is a judgment that is appointed for you. There is one because there is appointed. All are appointed unto death. And after that, the judgment. Romans 3, 10 to 18 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Not one. Not one person does good. Not one person can stand before a holy God and beat his chest and say, yes, I'm faithful to God. Yes, I'll I'll be in heaven with God. No, not one. He goes on and says their throat is an open sepulchre. It's an open tomb. With their tongues they have used deceit. Liars is what they are. All men are liars, the Bible says. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. We swear as if there's no tomorrow. We think nothing of it. We say idle words all the time. And yet the Bible says we're going to be judged for every word that comes out of our mouth. This is a frightening prospect. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. No fear of God. No concern. No no fear of that which is to come. Yet they will meet their God one day and be sure that your sin will find you out. Or we sit here arguing about doubtful disputations when the very soul of the individual that we're talking to is damned unless he turns to Christ because of his own sin. This is our charge. This is our charge. This is what we are to do. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But, but, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have the curse, we have the problem, and we have the solution in one beautiful, simple verse in Romans 6.23. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. That's not a doubtful disputation. That is what we need to be sharing with people. That's what we need to be focused on. If you're going to be arguing with anybody about anything, argue about the things concerning Christ. Speak about their souls. Speak about the hope that they have because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are going to be people who are going to be coming to you mourning over the things that are going on in the world, confused by it. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to sit there talking about, oh, how the governments have taken the Commonwealth of Australia and sold it to America, how we're now a company, how the police force is a company, a corporation. What the heck has that got to do with anything? That's a doubtful disputation. No one can know the truth of those things. And that's not going to do anything but cause your brother to offend and to turn them away. These are futile, silly arguments that have no basis and have no end for these poor people who don't know Christ. We need to be sharing the hope of Christ. Why? Well, Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the foundation of information 
to provide to those who don't know Christ. The foundation of the information. That's what we build upon now. We build upon that information. These aren't doubtful. They're in the scriptures. They're there. He commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ made a way for the hope of everlasting life while we were yet sinners. And for you and I before we even came into this world. And then we have that beautiful passage in chapter 10, verse 9. It gives the manner, the way in which an individual might be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. His confession with the mouth and belief in the heart. Not, 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 not an ascension, a mental ascension to that which you think might be true. It's a belief in the heart that God has raised him from the dead and the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. That's Romans 10 verse 9. Romans 10 13 confirms this and says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you called upon him? Have you desired him? Have you broken your heart before him? Do you see yourself as a sinner before a holy God? One who has sinned in all manner of different ways that we've already described in chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. Do you see yourself evident in chapters 3 to 18? In chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. If you're presented in that, if you would call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. This is the main thing. This is the main thing. And then that wonderful, solid position, once you've done so and you're born again and you're saved, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. There's so many people who don't even know God. They have no fear of God. But wonderful to have a fear of God and then to seek after him and to call upon his name because when we do so, we are justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. And then, then, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There is a transformation of life, a complete change. You're no longer the person that you were before. You no longer walk after the flesh. You no longer have a mind for the flesh, a tendency to the flesh. You now walk after the spirit. You desire the things of the Lord. You're grieved by the things of the flesh. You now have the spirit of God within you. And as such, you walk in the spirit of the Lord. And there's no condemnation to you now. No longer are you condemned by a holy God. These things are not doubtful disputations. These things are the main thing. And this is what we need to be sharing with a world filled with doubt and confusion. And then finally, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing more important than this. You know, sit there arguing about food you're going to eat or not eat. Now sit there talking about what day of the week is worth exalting or not exalting. You want, to, you want to talk about the little things that make no difference. You want to speak about some of the rules that are being put around today as what they are or what they're not, what they're there to do or what they're not there to do. Who cares? How does that even compare to this? How does that even compare to the gospel? How does it even come close to comparing? How are you going to save someone's soul by worrying about this or that idea? It's impossible to consider of anything more internally significant than the hope for your own soul. All other notions in the world might be doubtful disputations. But the gospel is sure 
And those who are faithful to God make it front and centre in every conversation. In every conversation. These are those who are faithful to his calling. And interestingly enough, these are the happiest of all, no matter what is going on in the world. No matter what is going on in the world, these are the faithful in Christ who are happiest of all. Why? Because they're doing the will of their Lord. They're not trying to turn a corrupt, degenerate society back to righteousness. They see the fall and they see the plight of individuals and they keep the main thing the main thing. They keep the main thing the main thing. Those who are faithful to the Lord keep the main thing the main thing. Some to think also to begin with doubtful disputations. They use the doubtful disputations and they fracture in their own mind because that's actually where their hearts are at. They think, we'll use the doubtful disputations to get in to the main thing. Oh, no, beloved. What communion hath light with darkness? What communion hath light with darkness? It's the individual soul who is lost before a holy God who need to know where they stand before God. Not dealing with doubtful disputations in order to get in. That, it, it, something that's confusing can't be led to something that's true. We speak about the things that are true concerning individuals. Hearts lost, states lost, and an eternity that is incredibly dark. We bring that out and we lead them to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. People need hope, beloved. And you are the people of hope. Because the Lord of hope is in you. Please keep the main thing the main thing. Please, please, I implore you, steer away from doubtful disputations. Love people enough to share with them the hope of Christ. And let them have the joy that you're supposed to have. And that you have. Many of you do have. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this time. We thank you, Father, for the word of God. We thank you for its wonderful truth. We thank you, dear Lord, that there are things that we are to maintain before our eyes, arguments, dear Lord, that we are to steer away from that have no benefit to any person. But there are arguments, dear Lord, and those things that are so true and so wonderfully presented within the Scriptures. I ask and I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to always keep the main thing the main thing. I pray, dear Father, for any who might have heard the Word of God this morning and and heard the scriptures expounded and listened to the truth of what's said within the word of God themselves, that they may come to a knowledge of Christ, that you may right now save the hearts of some. I pray, dear Father, for your hand upon each one of us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.